Morning, church. Have I got your attention? <laughs> it's quite a thought-provoking little short clip, isn't it? Because, you know, if I was the word idolatry or idol worship, what might come to your mind? Like golden calves, statues, chanting, drinking blood, yeah, things that don't really apply to our, our life today. Well, I hope they don't either anyway. Um, but I want to tell you this morning that idol worship does still exist, even in our modern Western world, but it exists in our soul realm. Soul idols. It's not necessarily golden statues that we bow down to, but soulish desires that we worship. So this morning, that's my message, and I just wanted to welcome you here. Um, if, you, if this is your first time or if you haven't been here before, my name's Sarah. I'm the senior pastor of the house with my husband, Brad, and he's actually in Darwin this morning. He sends his love to us all. Um, he was speaking at a Baptist union actually yesterday, and then he's um, speaking at a church up there in Darwin this morning. So he sends his love to everyone, wishes he was here, but he's sweating it out in Darwin <laughs> for the gospel. But this morning, I want to tell you that put simply, an idol is anything or anyone loved more than God wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, or enjoyed more than God. It could be a spouse, a girlfriend, or a boyfriend. It could be good grades or the approval of other people. It could be success in business, sexual desires, a sports team, or music. And you know what? The ironic thing is, is that most of the things we turn into idols, they're actually good things in of themselves, but we make them ultimate things. And that's where we come undone. You know, when God created the world, he pronounced that it was good. But ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, that Satan's number one strategy has been to cause us to take that which is good and put it in place of God. In Romans 1.25, it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the creator himself. To illustrate, here's an example. While the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 3 that um, food is a gift from God, like any gift, it can be misused and can become an idol in itself. Gluttony is not simply overeating, but it's making eating the focal point of your life. It's what controls you. You can, still, you can be skinny and still be a glutton, it's when food controls you, you're worshipping it, and it's an idol in your life, whether you admit it or not. Idolatry, if you, if you like, is the hidden sin driving all other sins. Or if you put it this way, idolatry is the root to the surface sin. So, for example, you might, if your idol is approval, you might lie or knowingly exaggerate the truth to make yourself look better in someone else's eyes. So the surface, the surface sin is lying, but the underlying root is that idol of approval, that you want approval. So let's see what the Bible says about this. Is it possible for me to have a little bit more um, house lighting? I want to see your beautiful faces a little more. I can just see shadows. So let's look into the word. The most common scripture, and actually one of the Ten Commandments, is Deuteronomy 5, verse 7 to 9. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And if you read through the Old Testament, you actually see that God repeats this commandment over and over again. Because it's like the people got it and then they lost it. And they got it and they returned to God and they lost it and they started worshipping idols. And so his harshest punishments actually always came when the Israelites disobeyed this command. And sometimes he actually ordered whole cities to be destroyed because of idol worship. Thank goodness we don't live back in the Old Testament. (laughs) But Deuteronomy 32.21 says, They have provoked my jealousy with their so-called gods. They have enraged me with their worthless idols. And that jealousy that God has over us actually comes from love. Because you know what? He knows that we were made to find our greatest joy when we make him our greatest treasure. In Colossians 3, 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Or I like how the message puts it. And that means killing off everything connected with the way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God's about to explode in anger. Do you love the message? (laughs) It puts it in plain English. God's about to explode in anger. But that's true, and we put other things in God's place that we think will really satisfy us. And then we not, we not only offend him, but we actually destroy ourselves. Those two things make God angry, when we offend him, but when we destroy ourselves. Let me tell you a story from Matthew to illustrate how our idols can keep us from true relationship with God. In Matthew 19, verses 16 to 22, A man came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do so that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what's good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he said to him, Well, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. So all of them. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, but what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He knew, this young man knew, that he lived a life in obedience to the commandments, but he still lacked something. In verse 20, he asked Jesus, what is it that I lack? What is it that I lack? I'm living according to the law, according to the word, but what is it that I lack? There was an emptiness. From all accounts, he was a good man. He was very wealthy, so obviously he lacked nothing materially. But there was something still missing in his life. Jesus actually gives him the answer. Jesus says, give give up what you treasure most and choose me. Give up what your heart desires most. Choose me. Follow me. Choose the better path. We see the idol in his life is money, and it's actually greater than his desire for God. And he couldn't fathom living a life devoid of possessions, wealth, and status, even though Jesus was offering him something far better. He was offering him completeness. He was offering him a chance to be near to him 
a chance to know him intimately, a chance to walk with him, a chance to gain treasure in heaven. Come on, let's think about our life. Is there anything that you so desperately need that you can't imagine living without? Is there something that you think, if I lost this, I just wouldn't be able to survive? Do you say sometimes, Lord, I'll give you anything but dot, dot, dot. I'll give you anything but alcohol. I'll give you anything but control over my career. I'll give you anything but my money. I'll give you anything but sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Lord, I'll do anything for you, but I'll change anything in my life for you, but there's something that we withhold or things that we withhold from the Lord. They're habits that you won't give up, places that you won't forego. They're relationships that you're not willing to end. Anything that you put in, that, in those blanks is actually idols because it's stopping you from connecting to the heart of the Lord. It's stopping you from entering into that fullness of relationship with him. He loves us and he is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share our attention like that. You know, he wants the most. He wants the very best from us. He wants us to put him first because he put us first. He created us. He came to this earth as a man and he gave all for us, his very life. And so he's saying, does that not... Does that not mean that you can, you can sacrifice for me, that you can give for me? A good question to ask yourself is, how would you feel if this thing was suddenly taken from me? What about your career? How would you feel if it suddenly disappeared? What about your home or your car? Music, television, entertainment, money, relationships. The real question is, is God enough for you? Is God simply enough for you? If everything else crumbled around about you, would God be enough? Do you seek him first above all else? You know, I love a song um, sung by Lauren Daigle, written by Lauren Daigle called First. And I wanted to read you the lyrics from it this morning because it's really um, crucial to what I'm speaking about. She starts off, Before I bring my need, I'll bring my heart. Before I lift my cares, I'll lift my arms. I want to know you. I want to find you in every season, in every moment. Before I bring my need, I'll bring my heart and seek you first. I want to seek you first. I want to keep you first. More than anything else, I want you first. Before I speak a word, let me hear your voice. In the midst of pain, let me feel your joy. I want to know you. I want to find you in every season and in every moment. Before I speak a word, I'll bring my heart and seek you first. You are my treasure and my reward. Let nothing ever come before. You are my treasure. You are my reward. Let nothing ever come before. I seek you first. Can we honestly say this morning that that's the desire of our heart? Or can we be honest with ourselves and say, well, maybe I have been seeking God, kind of bringing my needs and my cares first before I bring in my heart? Or I've been bringing kind of a half, half-heartedness half or some of my time, but reserving the most of my energy in my life, my time for the things that are desires to me, that I'm reaching for, that have my true heart. I want to tell you this morning why soul idols are dangerous to us. You know, in his bestseller, The Reason for God, Tim Keller gives some examples of the particular kinds of brokenness and damage caused by idolatry. He says, if you center your life and identity on your spouse or your partner, you'll be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. 
If you center your life and identity on your family and your children, you'll try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you might abuse them when they displease you. If you center your life and identity on your work and career, you'll be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you'll lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, develop deep depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up your life. If you center your life and identity on pleasure, gratification and comfort, you'll find yourself getting addicted to something. You become chained to the escape strategies by which you avoid the harshness of life. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, you'll be constantly overly hurt by criticism and always losing friends. You'll fear confronting others and therefore will shy away from conflict. And if if you center your life and identity on religion and morality... You will, if you're living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous and cruel. If you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. Pretty confronting, huh? I know that they're giving us worst case scenarios there, but it's good sometimes to reflect on the fruit of letting these these good things become ultimate things in our lives because they'll demand something from you. We see the fruit of chasing after our idols in Ecclesiastes. The author of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes throws himself into different pursuits. He throws himself into studying, into throwing parties, building palaces and gardens, acquiring concubines. And as long as he was in pursuit of something, he was excited. He was energetic. He found some pleasure in each of those pursuits, as we sometimes do with our pursuits of our idols. But in the end, he was left disillusioned and empty. He, was, he cried out, all is vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing gained under the sun. Nothing fulfilled him. And we can see that this is also echoed in celebrities. You know, in um, popular sports people, people that have reached the pinnacle of what they're going after. We see in tennis star Boris Becker, and Brad will be very proud that I'm using a tennis analogy this morning. <laughs> tennis star Boris Becker, he said when he was at the very top of the tennis world, he was, at the brink of, he was on the brink of suicide. He said, I'd won Wimbledon twice before, once, once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything and yet they're so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was just a puppet on a string. He had chased down his idol. He had achieved the pinnacle of success and he was miserable so unfulfilled, so unhappy. In the clasp of, of committing suicide, that's because our idols will demand things of you. They demand sacrifice to keep them happy. And so we don't see the going-ons in, in um, Boris Becker's life up until that point. But I'm sure to attain what he did, he had to make sacrifices some good maybe, some bad. And you know what, I'm not, the message I'm bringing this morning is not saying that we can't attain to success or we can't attain to greatness because we can. But the message I'm bringing this morning is that we can't put that want and that need and that desire for those things above our desire for God. Idols demand sacrifice to keep them happy. 
They will always make you sacrifice for them. If business is your idol, you'll sacrifice your integrity to climb the ladder of success. If acceptance is your idol, you'll sacrifice your honesty and lie to get affirmation. If romance is your idol, you'll walk out on your spouse as soon as the spark seems to fade. But an idol is like a fire. It's never, it never says that's enough. Instead, it just keeps asking for more and more and more. The more you give it, the more it demands. 2 Timothy 3.4 reminds us, in the last days, men will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How often have we heard it said, if it makes you feel good, just do it. Or, I just want to be happy. And so, you know, we divorce our spouse because we're unhappy. We break our commitments because we can't find fulfillment. We abandon our promises and walk away from family and friends, all in search of that elusive happiness. Becoming a lover of pleasure, feeling good in the moment rather than a lover of God. But you know what? Does it get you happiness? Does it get you fulfillment? No. It gets you more brokenness, more unhappiness, more unfulfillment. Because we know that the only thing that can totally fulfill us, fill that need within us and and give us true joy, not just happiness, but true joy, is the God who created us. Amen? When we don't flee from temptation, but flirt with it, we've opened the door to sin. Then when sin enters, we cry out like Paul did. I don't understand my own actions, he said, for I do not what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate to do. Have you ever felt like that? Like your actions don't really represent what you really believe and what you, what you know is right to do because your actions are being driven by something else. They're being driven by those desires, by those soul needs, by those wants. They're not being driven by love for the Lord. They're not being driven by passion for him. That's why sometimes it doesn't marry up. So how do we get free? This is the fun part. This is the good part. Jeremiah 4.1 says, If you wanted to return to me, you could. You could throw away your detestable idols and stray no more. If our deepest desire really is for God, we'll release the idols that are blocking our intimacy with him. You know, we need to understand that idolatry is not just damaging and addictive for us, but it also breaks the heart of God. And it shows you in Hosea 11, verses 1 to 8, when Israel was a, ch- when Israel was a child, I loved him. This is God speaking. I called my son out of Egypt, but the more I called to him, the further he moved away from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. He doesn't know or even care that I was was the one who took care of him. I led Israel all along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refused to return to me, they will return to Egypt and they'll be forced to serve Assyria. War will swell through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will utterly destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the most high, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how I give you, oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Admar or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. 
This is God speaking as a father towards his people. He is saying, I led you out of captivity. I brought you into freedom. I've taught you. I've loved you. I've given you. I've even stooped down to feed you. And yet you desert me. You run after idols. You chase after soulish desires. You know, when our God loves us, calls us, teaches us, leads us with his kindness and love, when he sees us giving our love, our adoration, our time to other things, not to him, it actually breaks the heart of God, it says. We grieve the heart of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to grieve the heart of God. I want to make him pleased. I want to make him happy. I want him to feel joy when he looks at me. And, you know, I just love, 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 love. You know, when you can get into that place with the Lord, when you can look at him and you can feel that overwhelming sense of peace and and knowing that you're in the center of his will. You know, do we love God for what he can give us rather than for who he is? That's the question. Because if you love someone for who they are, then you're willing to make sacrifices for them. You know, my dad, my dad tells a story of when he gave his heart to the Lord, that he had to give up hanging around with some of his footy mates. And back then, he was an avid sports fan, um, and sport was actually quite an idol to him, as was drinking. But he gave up both of those when he gave his life to the Lord, because he loved the Lord more. And he was willing to make sacrifices. And so he forgot. For back then, that was probably his, his main group of, of friends. So he sacrificed to the Lord those things. And he'll tell you today that that's actually a catalyst to, for him becoming the man that he is and having the life that he does. And even the strength of his relationship with the Lord. He still loves sport today, but he loves God more. We have to choose to let God comfort us rather than creating our own comfort in ways that deplete and hurt us in our relationship with God. Because ultimately, that's what we're looking for when we're running after things, when we're running after idols of comfort or achievement or success. We're looking for that comfort. We're looking for someone to um, approve us. We're looking for someone to say, you're worth it. We're looking for, um, we're looking for relationship. But we already have that. That's the amazing thing, is that we can run into the arms of our Savior, who is our comforter, who is our helper, who is our healer, who loves us with an everlasting love. Our incredible God, are you willing to sacrifice for him? Isaiah 30, 18 says, So the Lord must wait for you to come to him, so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. God is waiting for you. That's what the word says. God waits for us. He waits for us so he can show us his love and his compassion. He's waiting for you this morning. But we have to take a step towards him and away from those things that would try to compete for our attention, compete for our love. God's given us the incredible gift of salvation. You know, getting out of our sinfulness, that's the easy part through salvation. But staying out, that's harder. Because we have a sinful nature, we have a desire towards sin. And so it doesn't work sometimes just to say no to our idols because that allure is too strong. But we need to be drawn to something better, to something bigger. We need to fall in love. Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish professor of theology, in the 1800s wrote, We were made to worship, 
and our souls will not tolerate a vacuum. We suffer without an object of pursuit, without something to interest our minds and our emotions. We were made to worship, for we cannot help it. The only way to be delivered from a desire is to replace it with a new desire. The most effectual way of withdrawing the mind from one object is not by turning it away, but by presenting to its regards another object still more alluring. You know, and that's what psychology says as well, if you, if you talk to um, Pastor Dallas, is that you can't, just rep- you can't just tell your mind not to think a certain thing because you're going to think on it more and more and more. But you need to replace it with an, an ulterior thought. It's the same here. You can't just tell yourself to stop wanting something or to um, stop being tempted by something, but you have to replace it with something else, with something more alluring. And you know what? Earthly idols are never able to satisfy that God-shaped hole within us. The one who satisfies is the lover of our soul. He's the only one who can replace our idols and bring lasting joy. I love what the word says, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on what? The things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. And Matthew 22, 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. God wants it all. He won't tolerate sharing it. He wants everything. He's a jealous God for you. He wants all the love of your heart, all the love of your soul, and all of the love of your mind. You've got two choices. You can either spend your life chasing idols with the hands that you've made yourself. What happens when you die? Well, those idols die alongside with you, right? Or you can spend your life doing God's will, and when you die, it's not over. It's just begun. You know, the crazy thing about idolatry is that it's only for this life, and then it ends. So you're cheated in this life, and you're you're cheated, you're cheated at the, when you die. So you lose, you lose both ways. But if you choose the better thing, if you choose God's will, if you choose him, then you're blessed in this life and you're blessed in eternity. That's why Psalm 90, 12 says, Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We aren't going to live forever, even though this is forever house. <laughs> We're not going to live forever. We won't be here forever. And so whether we like it or not, our days are numbered. That's why we've got no time for idols, church. No time to chase after anything other than God, other than his will for us. Are those same idols too, are they going to come to your rescue when you face a crisis? When someone in your life passes away? When you lose a job? When there's a problem in your family? No, because they're created things. But the living God, our creator, is able to give you peace throughout the storms of life. He is able to give you assurance that you can trust in him, rely upon him. He'll be your hero in those moments. And you won't even think about the idols. They won't even matter in, that inst- in those moments. So the only lasting cure for idolatry is fervent love for God. The words of an old hymn written in the form of a prayer read, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
You know, I wanted this morning's message to be shorter because I wanted some time for us to be able to worship and have some ministry. So if I can ask the music team to come, all of the music team. Let me read that to you again. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. In one of her books, Elizabeth Elliot comments that Christian life is a process of God breaking our idols one by one. So here's how we get free from soul idols. Number one, we repent. We ask God's forgiveness. Ask God's forgiveness where we've run after our own soulish desires. We put other people or other things above him. And number two, ask for his help each day. For our passions and our desire for him to be greater than the attraction and the pull of those idols. For the strength that it will take, because it will take strength to turn away from those things and to turn to him. Can we stand this morning? Jesus. He is waiting for you, church, this morning. He is waiting, as it says in that scripture, with arms open wide. He's ready to lavish his love on you, his affection, his compassion. He's not here ready to reprimand you, but he's here with arms open wide saying, I want to love you. I want to fill you. I want to be near to you. I want to be close to you. Come on, don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let those soulish desires or those idols whisper to you, you know, it's not so bad. It's okay. It's not harming anyone. But it is harming. It's harming you. It's, it's blinding you from the life that you could be living, from what you're missing out on. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Open our eyes, Lord, to the things, Father, that break your heart, the things within our life that break your heart. Open our eyes this morning. Lord, we repent, Father, where we've put other things above you, Jesus, where we've chosen Lord, other things, Lord, rather than spending time in your presence. Lord, where we've put, Lord, even the, the attributes and the accolades of this life, Father, above our honor for you, Jesus. We surrender to you this morning, Lord. You know, for some of you, you might want to come to the altar. For some of you, might be like me. While I was writing this message, I had to get down on my knees before the Lord. Whatever you need to do this morning to reconnect your heart to His, whatever you need to do this morning to let go of those selfish, those soul desires, those idols, the things that will keep you from the love of God, that keep you from the intimacy of His presence, come on, let them go this morning. Let them go. Father, help us to fall more in love with you. Restore to us that first love, God, that drives us into your presence every day. You know, I even feel for some of you that there's been a real lack of joy and a lack of hope in your life lately, and you just haven't been able to put your finger on what it's been. That there's almost been like a going through the motions but not being present or an existing but not really living. You know, this message is for you this morning because you've let those desires come before your love for the Lord and there's been a disconnect between your heart and His. This morning, He's reaching out His hand. He's saying, come, come. 
I can breathe life into you once again. I can give you hope. I can give you joy. But you've got to take a step before, a step towards Him. You've got to let go of those things, which is sometimes the hardest. And say, Lord, I will give you everything. I'm not going to hold back anything. There's nothing, no secret place in my heart, no secret place in my mind. But Father, I want to give you all of me.